Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do uh, thank you for the gift of children uh, in our church, in our lives. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you help us to think wisely and biblically on this topic this morning. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And today we're looking at this topic of children, and it's obviously, it's, it's a massive topic, isn't it? Um, I had a look at Willoughby Library as part of my research, and there are more than a dozen shelves of books on the topic. So what I want to do today is to tackle something that is, is really quite narrow and very basic. I'm sorry, it's still going to be quite a long talk, but I, I want to look at two basic issues. Uh, thinking about children, firstly I want to ask the question, how should we view children? That is, what should we think of them? And then the second question is, what should our goal be for our children? How should we view children? What should our goal be for them? And we're going to start off by looking at ideas in society, views about children and goals for them. Then we'll look at what the Bible says, and then we'll try to compare the two and think through some implications. See where we're going? So first question, how should we view children? When it comes to their view on children, many people fall into one of two categories. On the one hand, you've got people for whom children are their number one priority. Dr. Phil, Dr. Phil McGraw, in his book Family First, puts it very well. He says, just like you, I love my family more than anything in this world. Now, people think children are priority number one. And so people make extreme sacrifices for their children. Some people make extreme sacrifices to have children. They go through long periods of anguish. They pay out thousands, tens of thousands of dollars to pursue treatments for fertility and so on. And then once people have children, the sacrifices continue. Being a parent is costly. And uh, being a parent who keeps up with the North Shore Joneses is extremely costly. There's the private school, music lessons, sport, karate lessons, Italian lessons, ballet and so on. That's just Mondays. Uh, people, people invest enormous amounts of time and energy and money and anxiety and guilt into their children. Some people, of course, make bigger sacrifices. Some people have sick children. Uh, they will have to give up pretty much everything they have to help them. They'll have to mortgage their houses, get a second job, whatever it takes to enable their sick children to have treatment. Some people separate their marriages for the sake of the children. They think it's so important for the children to learn English or to get an education in Australia that the husband lives overseas while the wife lives in Australia with the children. People make big sacrifices for their children. And they make them willingly because they believe children are priority number one. That's one view. But then... On the, on the other hand, in our modern culture, there's a growing number of people who see children as an inconvenience. Many people are choosing now, because they're so inconvenient, to, to, not to conceive children. Uh, Eleanor Mills, I think, puts it very nicely in a recent article. She says, Ambitious women are not going to be junking their hard-won careers to raise rugrats. Many children are, many people are choosing not to conceive children because they're an inconvenience. Uh, sadly, many people are choosing to kill those children that they do conceive. Around 84,000 babies are murdered in their mother's wombs in Australia each year. Again, mostly because they're inconvenient. Uh, 
A recent study quoted by our Health Minister Tony Abbott showed that most unborn children, the vast majority of unborn children, are murdered because their birth would be a, quote, terrible inconvenience to people who feel they have their lives, quote, under control. Many modern couples are choosing to conceive children, but they want to kind of limit the damage, limit the inconvenience, and so they're having only one or two children. Uh, our current birth rate is uh, 1.7 children per woman. In order to replace us, we need 2.1 children per woman. And that's what prompted the Federal Treasurer recently to call on couples to have one for mum, one for dad, and one for the country. Quite who the fourth one is supposed to be for, I'm not exactly sure. <laughs> now, I'm about to show you something. Uh, this is a commercial, a foreign commercial. I'm sorry, some people might think it's a little bit rude. I'm taking a bit of a risk by doing this. Please don't be offended by the... I think it's a thoroughly offensive commercial, but not because of the rudeness. Uh, but what it does, it illustrates just so beautifully this idea of children as inconvenience. Thanks, Harry. Can you see the answers that society gives to our first question? How should we view children? On the one hand, people say they're our number one priority. On the other hand, people say, use condoms, they're an inconvenience. But whatever our view on children is, most of us have pretty much the same answer to our second question. We've got much the same goals for our children. We want them to do well in school and university, we want them to find a good job, have a comfortable life, and then go on to have nice families themselves. Again, Dr Phil puts it beautifully. Let me quote. Let's be honest. If you're like any parent I have ever met, you want your child to be the star in his or her own life. The soloist in the choir, the quarterback on the football team, the lead in the play, the beauty queen, the honour roll student, or, one, or the one in the best schools. Not only that, you also want your children to be happy, secure, self-assured and confident. You want to protect your child from getting shoved in the playground, picked on by bullies or molested by sickos, safe from failure and adversity and from social and interpersonal pain in general. On top of it all, you want your children to love you, accept you, respect you and admire you. <laughs> <coughs> Well, those are society's answers. But I wonder, how do they compare to God's answers? How does God say we should view our children? What does God say our goals should be for our children? And to find that out, of course, we need to turn to God's word, the Bible. Now, I want us to start with the Old Testament. And not because we're under the Old Testament, but because it contains some important foundations and also because it's worth seeing how things are now different under the New Testament. Now, way back, way back at the beginning, God created people for a reason. He created us to be the rulers of his world. And the key to doing that was to populate the world. 
On your outline there, you can see the first Bible verse. In fact, the first thing that God says to man. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Can you see, having children there is an integral part of the original creation and purpose of humanity. The first people were told to have children as part of their mandate to rule over the world. But of course, things went astray. Adam and Eve disobeyed God, and as part of their judgment, God made it hard for them to be rulers of the world. Uh, To Adam, he said, I'll make it hard for you to work the ground. More on that next week. And then he said to Eve, it's going to be hard for you to have children. The second Bible verse. To the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. From there it gets, people get worse and worse until it looks like God is going to give up on humanity. But then God chooses a man, a man called Abraham. And he makes great promises to Abraham. He promises basically, Abraham, through your family, I will restore humanity. And an important part of the promise was that Abraham would have children. On your outline there from Genesis 15, God took Abraham outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. God promised that Abraham's descendants would become a great nation. He said, I'll give you the promised land. I'll promise to to bless you, to be your God, to restore you back into fellowship with me through Abraham's children. Those are the promises. And, And for Abraham's descendants, as we move through the Old Testament, they need to have children to participate in the promises. You can't live as an Israelite in Israel forever. You've got an inheritance that needs to be passed on to your children. And so it's through your children that your place in the promised land remains in the Old Testament. And so, in the Old Testament, children are considered to be a profound blessing from the Lord. The more you have, the bigger your part in God's created purposes. The more you're ruling the world. The more you have, the bigger your part in the promised land, the greater your inheritance. In the Old Testament, children are a blessing from God, a a participation in his purposes and in his promises for humanity. Now, the next verse from Psalms puts it nicely. Sons are a heritage from the Lord. Children are reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are sons born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Whip them out and fire them at people. A blessing from the Lord. On the other hand, on the other hand, childlessness in the Old Testament is considered to be a terrible tragedy. In story after story in the Old Testament, we hear about the tragedy of childlessness. Childlessness. There's Sarah. There are Lot's daughters, uh, Rebecca, Rachel, Tamar, Hannah, Naomi. The, the list goes on and on. So, can you see the Old Testament answer to our first question? How are children viewed? They are a blessing from God because they're the way we participate in our created purpose and and in the the promises of God. The answer to our second question in the Old Testament flows out of the answer to the first. Uh, Children are part of the way that we rule the world under God. Children are part of our participation in God's promises. And so the goal is to bring them up to understand who they are, 
to understand that they are God's people and should live for him, serving him, obeying him in the promised land. And God's people are told to to talk to their children uh, about his law, day, night, sitting, standing. Joshua puts it nicely and uh, very short there in the next verse. Joshua says, As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. That then takes us to the New Testament. The New Testament assumes the blessing and the value of children from the old. But, but what it does, it changes their place in God's purposes and promises. Because in the New Testament, we see God's purposes and promises fulfilled. They are fulfilled in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. Now, to start with, Jesus is the man who fulfills the created purpose for humanity. You remember the created purpose from, for humanity from Genesis? To rule over the world. That's Jesus now, isn't it? Jesus is the risen man who rules over the world. And so the task of God's people in the New Testament is different from that in the Old. In the Old Testament, people are told to rule the world by having children. But now Jesus has already been declared the ruler of the world. And so now our task is to bring people under Jesus as ruler. Now the next verse from Matthew 28 puts the two concepts together very well. Jesus came to them, Matthew 28, and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus is the ruler of the world. And so now what's the task? Not go be fruitful and multiply, but look. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. You see, Jesus makes a radical difference, doesn't he? We don't rule the world by populating it anymore. Now we rule the world by discipling it. Now we fulfil our created purpose by obeying Jesus and bringing other people to obey Jesus. And it's the same sort of thing with God's promises. Uh, All those promises to Abraham about land, about being God's people, about uh, restoring people to himself, all fulfilled in Jesus. God restores us through the death and resurrection of Jesus. We inherit a place with God, not by being children of Abraham anymore, but by relying on Jesus. We receive an eternal place in God's promises, not by having children who take our place in the promised land, but by trusting in the eternally raised Jesus. The next verse from 1 Peter. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. The coming of Jesus transforms the place of children. And so, see if you can get this, and so in the New Testament, the priority of children is subjugated under the priority of the gospel. Did you get that? Let me put it another way. If you're a Christian, Jesus should be more important to you than children. That's why we saw last week that singleness is a real and a valued option for Christians. Uh, It's also why there's no great focus on the tragedy of childlessness in the New Testament. Jesus doesn't have any children. Now, the Apostle Paul doesn't have any children doesn't make him any less part of the plans and purposes of God, far from it. 
And that's why you see Jesus saying stuff like uh, in this next verse. I've taken it from Matthew rather than the Luke bit that we read before about hating your children. I think this is what Jesus means. Jesus says, Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Jesus is the ruler of the world. Jesus is the fulfilment of God's promises. Jesus is the way that we fulfill our created purpose and enter into God's promises. And so obedience to Jesus is more important than children. Now that is not to say that children are not valued in the Christian community. It remains true that children are a blessing from God. It remains true that we are created in one sense to have children. Not like we saw with marriage last week. The promises of the gospel, according to Acts 2, are for us and for our children. And the Christian community, the Christian community should, above all, be a welcoming community. We should love it when people join our church. That includes children. We should welcome children and love them, not only as part of our families, but as part of our church as well. Jesus himself welcomed children, didn't he? Uh, The next verse. Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these... Jesus welcomed children and then right through the rest of the New Testament, children are assumed to be a valued and valid part of the church. They're often even addressed specifically in the New Testament letters. They belong in the church. So, what's the New Testament answer to our question? How should we view children? Let me try to put it in one sentence. Children are a welcome and valued part of our lives Under the lordship of Christ. Children are a welcome and valued part of our lives under the lordship of Christ. And so our goal with children, similar to that in the Old Testament, flows out of of our view of them. Our goal with children should be the same as our goal with every other person, and that is to bring them under the lordship of Christ. Except with children, you've got far more opportunity. Children are welcome and valued under, our, under the Lordship of Jesus, and so we bring them up to love and serve Jesus, to trust and obey Jesus. The next verse from Ephesians. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Okay, we've seen some views of society. We've looked at uh, what the Bible says in terms of these two questions, our view of children, our goals for children. Now let's try to put the two together, compare them, and think through some implications. Question number one. How should we view children? We saw two answers given by our society, didn't we? The number one priority view and the inconvenience view. Let's, let's take them in turn. First, there's the children as number one priority view. What does the Bible say to that? Well, in some ways, the Bible agrees. Uh, from start to finish, the Bible affirms the value of children. Children are a precious gift of God to us, and we have a great responsibility to care for the children that God has put in our care. Our children are more important than our money, more important than our houses, more important than our stuff. They are more important than our comfortable and controlled life. Our children are to be deeply valued and deeply loved, even when they do have a tantrum in the shopping centre. But the Bible also challenges this view. Because the Bible says that Jesus should be a higher priority than our children. Yes, our children are valuable, but we don't want to make idols of our children. They are not number one priority for Christians. Jesus should be number one priority for us and for our children. That, if you think about it, has got all sorts of implications. But I just want to draw out three that I think are controversial and topical. Number one. 
uh, for people who are, are, are desperate to have children but are finding it hard. The Bible is clear that we must not disobey God in our quest to have children. Uh, Christians need to keep that in mind as they pursue medical options for fertility. I particularly need to be very careful about things like IVF, where more babies are created than are needed, where some of the babies created are frozen or are killed. We must not disobey Jesus in our longing to have children. Second, there's the place of children in marriage. Jesus is clear that marriage is the primary human relationship. A husband and wife, he says, are one flesh. That is closer than their relationship with their children. And so we should not neglect our marriages for some perceived benefit to children. Even after you've got children, you still should cultivate your marriage. You still should talk to your husband or wife. Don't don't talk to them again 20 years down the track once the children are gone. Cultivate your relationship. I also think that this means couples should not live in different countries for the sake of their children. I told you to be controversial. Jesus says marriage first. Third... We must never let our children become an excuse for giving up or getting slack about our Christianity. Don't ever stop being a Christian because of your children. Don't ever start thinking that Jesus is not the only way anymore because your children haven't followed him. Don't ever start thinking that that you can change Christian obedience or Christian living because your children aren't living in line with what the truth is. Keep following Jesus. Even if your children do not come with you, keep following Jesus. Also, don't let the busyness of children stop you from regular church attendance or from coming to Bible study. Don't let the tiredness stop you from reading the Bible and praying. Don't let your children be an excuse to to get off the rosters and give up serving and encouraging people. It is hard work, I know. I've got four children under under six. But keep at it. And and know this, it's not just bad for you to be a slack Christian. It is actually bad for your children. Children are to be welcomed and valued. But children are not number one priority. Jesus is number one priority. Well, that brings us to the second view. The children are an inconvenience view. What does the Bible say to that? Well, again, in some ways, the Bible agrees. Children are an inconvenience. From their cursed and painful entry into the world onwards, our sinful, fallen children are a pain in the neck. They are frustrating, tiring, ungrateful, selfish, obnoxious, disobedient and expensive. From the moment you get pregnant, life will be full of worry and anxiety and it will not stop. My dad tells me even once you become a grandparent, then you worry about your children and your grandchildren. That's what the Bible says to expect in this fallen world. And children can get in the way of gospel ministry outside of your family. They take up time, they take up energy. Realistically, you can't do the same amount of hospitality or travelling around the world or meeting up with people once you've got children. Children are an inconvenience. But the Bible also challenges this view. Because the Bible doesn't necessarily view inconvenience as a bad thing. Inconvenience can be a good thing for us as Christians. It can help us deal with our own selfishness and laziness and idolatry. Inconvenient children can teach us stuff, stuff that is good for us, stuff like patience 
Stuff like self-sacrifice. Stuff like unconditional love. Children are an inconvenience to our comfortable, selfish North Shore lives, but you know what God says to that? He says, good. He says, I don't want you to be comfortable and selfish. He says, I want you to be godly. And even if they are an inconvenience, God's word is clear that children are valuable. We should welcome them as a precious gift. We should welcome them not only as valued members of our family, but as valued members of our church. We should be a welcoming community. And that's part of why abortion is such a terrible sin for Christians. Not only is it murder, but the tragic abortion rate in our society shows clearly how selfish and unwelcoming we have become. We don't want children, especially sick children, who will drain our precious resources, who will interfere with our idolatrous pursuit of comfort and security and wealth. That's not the way God's people should be. We should be different to society on this. We ought to be a people who welcome inconvenient children. By the way, this doesn't just apply apply to abortion per se. Some of the so-called methods of contraception, in fact, abort conceived babies. You need to check very carefully when you are thinking about contraception that it doesn't actually kill unborn children, because some of them do. Can you see how the Bible challenges both the views of children that we have looked at? Children are valuable, but they're not priority number one. Our children are an inconvenience, but we should welcome them and love them anyway. Okay, we're nearly there. Take a deep breath. Just another couple of minutes. Coming to our last question. Are you ready? Because I want you to think about this last question. Coming back to me, glazed eyes, shake. Our last question. How does the Bible's goal for children compare to ours? I don't know about you, but I suspect that my goals and my dreams for my children reveal what a pagan I am at heart. Because I'm with Dr. Phil. I do want them to be the stars. I do want them to be comfortable and happy and popular and successful. But the Bible says I ought to want to raise godly Christians. Even if that means that they are uncomfortable even if that means that they are unhappy, even if that means that they are unpopular, even if that means that they are unsuccessful. It is better that we have children who quit school, don't go to uni, get a low-paying job, never play a musical instrument and live out in the western suburbs but stay a Christian than that they become wealthy, successful, well-adjusted North Shore pagans. Better that our children end up living in a mud hut in Africa serving Jesus than living in a mansion in Chatswood serving themselves. The Bible challenges our goals for raising our children. If you think about it, I think that that actually challenges then the way we are raising them. They don't need us to work the sort of hours that we are working. They don't need us to be earning the sort of money that we are earning. They don't need to live in the sort of houses that we do. They don't need the private schools and the sport and the music lessons and all the other stuff we fill their days with. You know what children need more than anything else? They need you to be a godly example of a Christian to them. And you know what that's going to take? Not quality time, but quantity time. They just need you to hang around with them and model being a godly Christian, including the uncomfortableness of it, including 
the, the sacrifice of it, including the failure of it, including the unpopularity of the Christian life. Dads, we're going to get our priorities straight. That five minutes of reading the Bible and praying with your children in the morning, more important that you do that than that you go to work for the day. Families, more important that we bring our children to church week by week than that we send them to school. More important that we model generous Christian giving of our money than that we give them the latest toys or the overseas holiday. Our goal is to bring up children who trust and obey Jesus, not happy, comfortable North Shore stars. Well, let's finish. How should we view children? A welcome and valued part of our lives under the Lordship of Jesus. Not number one priority, but we ought to welcome them, value them. And our goal? Well, we want to say with Joshua, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Bring them up to trust and obey Jesus. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we acknowledge before you that we have many views that are not in line with yours. Now, we're sorry for perhaps the way that we have viewed children in our church, in our families, in our lives, in ways that are different to yours. Please help us to change our minds. Help us to have Jesus at the very centre of our lives and our thinking. Uh, we pray that you'll help us with children in our church, children in our families, whether they be children or grandchildren, to be able to commend the gospel to them by our faithful Christian lives. Please, we pray for the children associated with our church that they will never know a time when they haven't trusted and obeyed Jesus. We pray for those who have gone astray that you will bring them back. We pray for those who are young that they will always stand firm, holding fast to the Lord Jesus. And we pray that we and our children together may stand at that last day giving thanks and praise to you for your grace and mercy. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.